Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Uh, today I have with me George P. Brooks. Mr. Brooks comes to us from a company called Meta Association. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, sir, you did. All right, I'm glad to do that. Now, the amazing question that we ask on the show, and this is at the very beginning, and we have to do this because people need to know who you are. So, Mr. George P. Brooks, please tell us who you are and tell us a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, and what you're bringing to the table tonight or today in the morning or afternoon that we're going to be talking about today. All right. Around age nine, uh, grew up in a two-parent family household. Around age nine, noticed I began having some symptoms of mental illness. Uh, grew up with that, some elements of um, some, some emotional abuse, myriad issues of life, such as uh, divorce trauma, custody issues, addiction, health issues, and uh, really went down and hit rock bottom. But through that and perseverance, rose and, and built myself up to start a nonprofit called Meta Association, where we focus on black mental health, especially with black men dealing with recidivism, fatherhood, and uh, just uh, access and recognition and awareness of black mental health in general. And I, I'm glad that you're on this podcast for that, because that's something that is taboo in our community. Um, me being 37 years old, um, mental health was something that growing up, we didn't talk about. Um, we were you know, we're conditioned in certain areas. I'm not saying every single black man, but we are conditioned to be tough. We're supposed to be, as we say in the country, we're supposed to be forward tough and not built like a Chevy or a Dodge for the simple fact that uh, the women in our lives, you know, not all of them, like you said, like we both grew up in a two parent household at age eight or nine. My father, my father passed away when I was eight. So I lost him. So I became part of that statistic that had a female upbringing. And if in that female upbringing, you're supposed to be strong and supposed to be like have a certain um, vigorous to you that you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to let people know what's going on with you. And I thank you before we even get started with uh, being able to tackle these issues. So let's start off with the number one mental issue with black men, with us, depression, right? Where did depression come into your life? What stage did you figure out that you had depression or you had that 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 um, form of mental illness? Uh, about about age about about age nine, and you know the the thing where I was blessed is that my parents weren't the type to uh, not get me care, and uh, even before you even get to the person in particular, our biggest problem is dealing with that stigma. And until we get a kind of deal with that stigma in the black community, especially with black males and how we deal with our care and, and our physical care, let alone our mental health care in general, of even just going to the doctor and seeking care, uh, we're, we're not going gonna, not gonna to make a lot of progress because uh, looking, looking at it on a larger scale, our mental health ties, ties into our economic development. It ties into our relationship with our women, our children, crime, all that. So, you know, we as black men, we should be the leaders of, of our households, the leaders of our society. Uh, so the women don't have to do the things that they've had to do for the past generations. So it starts with, starts with our mental health. But yeah, with depression is, is very common among black men. Yes. And, and it's one that like I, I will say personally, um, with my father dying, I, my mom did get me some counseling. She did get me some help, but yeah. it was a period that they have to stop the help. 
which it shouldn't shouldn't have, I don't think, but it had to stop. And as I got older, I developed principles and I, and I got well-rounded because of that little bit of time there. And I got in a little trouble as a juvenile and I got sent away for a little bit. And being institutionalized, I hate to say this, they focused in on my mental. They, they were like, hey, cause and effect, cause and effect. And not, not identifying cause of effect and not having that advocacy that I got there I wouldn't be the person I am today. So let me, let's get a dig into to advocacy here. How do you go about advocating mental health to people or to us when we're people take, they, they take this and I hate to say this and I hate to even tie this in because this is going to be, I might lose a few listeners behind this, but they say that we lose a bit of masculinity when we issue out um, our mental discrepancies and things that go on. How do you advocate to someone that you don't lose masculinity when you allow yourself to be open and to be honest with yourself? Well, I mean, you have to look at the current situation that we're in and evidently the way we've been doing things has not been yielding us great results. So we have to try something different. And we've been running away from these issues and not having dealt with them for generations. So now let's try to address them. Let's try to deal with them in a different way and see if that yields us those results that we that we so desire, uh, because we can only stand to benefit. And to 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 uh, to you know every every man has his own idea of masculinity, and if it threatens someone's sense of masculinity, there's nothing I can do about that. It doesn't threaten mine, so however one chooses to deal with those emotions and process them, that's just really up to them because everyone's journey is their own. But my thing is just try to deal with them, try to process with them, try something different so that it don't continue to be an albatross around your neck. Okay. And I appreciate that. Now, you got a philosophy. Would, could you tell people about your philosophy philosophy about opening the, the door? It, it, um, it's just developed something I developed by hitting rock bottom and having people that uh, helped me up and just things I learned just kind of, you know, it's no, what I do is really no different than anyone else else in the sense that it's just my testimony. Uh, it's just what I've picked up along the way through experience, through God's grace, through through things I've sought out, through things that were thrust upon me. It's just a matter, we all creatures of circumstance and uh, I'm no different. Okay. And looking over at your website, that philosophy, open the door before you can open your arms. That hits me. That, that 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 makes me feel a little bit stronger. Um, and, and it's going to strengthen my commitment to you know empowerment, uh, mental health issues w- within the community and abroad. You know, with everybody else. So let's go over your core values, if you don't care, because because I like to go in depth. And and um, he has amazing information over at www.metmettassociatio.org. Definitely right. hit over there. Right. Yeah, definitely hit over there because there's a, a lot of resource. And um, I'll get you to do a shameless plug in just a moment because that's one thing that's cool on the show. All but right. let's start with the first core value, empowerment. Empowerment is a word that gets misused. It, it gets used uh, incorrectly. Could you please give them a full statement on what empowerment means to you and your organization? My my sense of empowerment and medicine definition of empowerment is not 
is not one where one is granted empowerment. It's one where gain, one gains a sense of self-empowerment where they can do for themselves, not where they're dependent on, on another person to do for them, but where one gets strength and through support and through coping skills, they gain the courage, they gain the fortitude to be able to do for themselves. Okay. Then the next one, inclusion. Inclusion is a word that people, like I said, once again, empowerment, inclusion, they are two words that people get misrepresented and misconstrued. Because inclusion, sometimes people think that uh, it's select groups, it's it's a certain um, rite of passage to something. Could you break down what inclusion means to your core values? Uh, well, I, I'm somewhat, somewhat of a romanticist, so I have a a little bit of a utopian view of, of, of how I want to do this, but uh, we're, we're inclusive of everyone. Um, uh, you know, I have a soft, start, soft spot for people that we're seen as outcasts because I know how hard it is for them to, to, to find a place where they belong, let alone deal with the mental illness. So uh, we're inclu we, we are inclusive of everyone. Uh, regardless of race, creed, sexual orientation, um, uh, political affiliation, um, anything like that, because mental illness does not discriminate. It's the one thing that unites us all. But I focus on primarily on Black men because that's who I am. I'm raising Black sons. I'm raising Black children. So I'm trying to take care of home first, but I welcome anyone and will help everyone. And, and I appreciate that because um, in our society, as much as we want to take care of ourselves, everyone says when we put black or put a connotation on male that we're just trying to push everybody out. But like you said, inclusion means everybody can be involved. It doesn't matter about your orientation or whatever you're doing in life. Um, you deserve care and compassion. So compassion right. is the next one. Right. Describe compassion inside your values, please. I, I, I feel that uh, well, I know for myself personally, I, I try to act with, you know, everything I try to do, I try to have some element of compassion involved in it. Um, you know, I feel like even though I'm ascending, even though I'm trying to climb, I'm trying to help people up on my way up. Um, okay. So that, that, that's, my, that's my definition of compassion, to try to leave something, leave everything I touch better off than when I found it. You know, even if it's a room, I try to leave it better. Uh, if, if, if I meet a person, I try to, in some kind of way, leave their day better than when I just met them. So that, that's my form of compassion because I know I've been blessed in that regard. So I want to pay that forward every day in every way that I can. Okay. And, and I agree with that because my compassion starts off with common decency, something that has kind of left the world. Common decency, people can have an utmost respect for you, but when it comes to the actual common decency and the explanation of that, that gets lost before the compassion starts. And sometimes it's compassion with no common decency and that can get misconstrued. The, the word, that's the main thing. Miscon in mental health, misconstrue is the word that happens too often, yeah. you know? Um, and, 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 and part, and, go ahead. I was part of the reason a lot of that common decency is eroded is because we become such a self-centered society uh, with social media and we, we think that all our opinions, and myself included, are, are so paramount that we don't think about the person that we're impacting by expressing that feeling. 
uh, we we need to keep in mind that while we do have freedom of speech, that's does not free us from the consequences of said actions or said words. So um, you know, with common decency and, and part, part of trying to have and foster a sense of real positivity, you have to kind of be careful how you how you tread in this world, and we don't do that enough, and that has an impact on our mental health as well. So true, and then some people in some instances take mental health and try to use it as an excuse for them not keeping up their obligations as a, as a, as a human also too. And that's another thing that ties into with that compassion and common decency, because when someone is out to help you, um, it's hard to accept help. I understand that, but there's a thin line that you got to have a little bit of decency to allow them to help, to give them access. And access is another one that you talk about and building commitment and equality are the last three that are inside your core values um and those pretty much explain themselves because i don't want to tie up too much time into that because i want people to come over to you and uh venture over and see what they can accomplish with you now you guys offer services you have support groups classes mental health education um help out with rent utility and food assistance information and referrals mental health advocacy and you help people get reintegrated into society when they have been incarcerated. That is a lot to take on. Right. Um, and actually, right now, we'll, we'll have new offices set up in the fall. Right now, we're referring to other organizations for those services. But we have some exciting things coming up at the end of the year and beginning with next year with new headquarters. Okay. And, and that we'll, we'll get deeper into that in just a moment. So here's the thing, George. I got to ask you something. We got to get personal real quick. That's a lot, a lot of undertaking. That's a lot of, and I always ask people that deal with people with mental health, um, how do you take care of yourself? And the reason I'm going to ask this, I'm going to put a little filler in here so you can think about this. And the answer, the question is going to get a little bit deeper. How do you take care of yourself? How do you keep your glass completely full or halfway full? Like, because that's a lot of undertaking. You have to take a lot of mental anguish and a lot of mental abuse to help others. And that's something that people don't talk about when they're the ones that are helping. And when I say mental abuse, I mean, sometimes you got to bite your tongue and you, as a business professional and as a mental health advocate and professional, you know that you are there to listen. You're the greatest listener on earth. But it's some things that make you cringe. It's some things that make you want to throw the towel into that boxing match and get out of the ring. So how do, what kind of self-care and how do you have uh, – a good self-esteem built up that you can handle all that? Well, um, by me having my own diagnosis and having dealt with my own trauma, um, I, I, I use my work to help process my trauma. So that's beneficial. And as far as self-care, it took me many years and I'm still learning to set time for myself to take breaks, to uh, focus on things like my diet. I have a wonderful support system. I have a wonderful fiance who, 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 who is really my rock and foundation, uh, having a good support system, having a good routine, and just making sure that you make your self-care uh, a priority is, is integral to doing anything in life, especially work where I, I deal with some of the situations that I'm faced with. Okay, and, and I like that answer because that right there made you personable to people, and that opened up the window that, hey, I can trust this guy to handle my load. Um, and, and that's a key thing that, that sometimes doesn't get uh, out there because when people come to you, they always think about themselves. And even though you're in the position to help people, it's still good to know that you have a support system and you have a way to take care of yourself 
while you're taking care of others. Now, you got a newsletter. Bridge the gap. Right. Please tell us about that right. newsletter and how people can get involved with that. Well, we're going to be restarting our newsletter at the first of the year. Uh, it's going to be coming out quarterly and just kind of updating, um, you know, what's going on with us, uh, any pertinent news, bills that we want people to support or look into, bills that we may advocate uh, for that will relate to mental illness, especially policies affecting underserved areas and the demographics that we typically serve. So there will be more information, more informational. And uh, we're debating on whether having a print copy would be beneficial, but it will definitely be, be available on the online starting early next year. Okay, then that's exciting. Now, let's dig into the nitty gritty. Let's get it out there in the open. You've got some announcements you'd like to make. Please let the audience know more about uh, how they can donate, how they can help, and please let them know about that Meta Association shop. All right. Well, you can reach out to me uh, and other people at Meta Association at metaassociation.org. You can reach me personally at gbrooks at metaassociation.org. On our site, we'll have different ways to donate, different video clips, information about what we have coming up. On August 20th, I'll be speaking at New Horizons Church in Lancaster, Texas, uh, speaking about black male mental health. I have information about that on my Facebook page where you can follow me under George P. Brooks. So our best way to communicate is through, through our site, metaassociation.org, and or you can follow me at George P. Brooks on Facebook. Okay, and that's exciting there. And um, there's always other ways to, to support also that are on the website. Uh, and I, I really want to encourage people to go over to the website. Now, we, we've done a few questions here. We're going to go over into to a little bit of fun space real quick. Right. Um, but before we get to the, the fun space, we talked about your life. Right. You talked about the hardships that you had to overcome. But let's talk about a different portion in life. Let's talk about age 30. At age 30, I'm just going to give you my quick story so that it, I can tie a little bit of me into this. At age 30, I went through a life change. Um, early on in life, I decided to have a son early on, so I had that fatherly life going on. Well, things didn't work out with me and his mother. So my life turned back around to The Bachelor, only for a few months because I figured out I got locked down in a relationship. That relationship ended up in another one, and then blase, blase. But... It was a turning point in life. My self-esteem, um, I was cheated on. And I don't know if this was the first time this had happened or if it had happened all the time that I've been dating or, you know, doing whatever I was doing in life. So my depression was insane. Like, I, I'm a highly motivated person. I got charisma. I had to stop being myself, the person I was in that relationship. I had to stop it at age 30. And... I'm the person I am now. And this person is a more reserved person. I'm selective on how effective my communication is. I don't do too much communication that's not necessary. I'll talk to you and I'm friendly, but I've got this new reserve that I look at my surroundings now. So from my depression, I learned that I needed to be reserved. I needed to be calculated a little bit, not in any type of, um, I don't know, maybe calculated wasn't the best word to use, but I had to be more reserved. I had to be more poised. Right. And in doing so, 
in mental health, like I was able to slow down and I was able to, I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that, but I was able to become an effective listener instead of an effective speaker all the time. And the change in that person, more people became open to me. They started talking to me more. I ended up with better friendships at age 30 till now than I had the 30 years prior or the 25 years prior. So what happened to you at age 30? Same thing. We, 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 I, I always tell my fiance something to this effect that men, we don't really mature till we hit about 30. And the beautiful thing is you witness yourself maturing because when I would, I'm thinking about my 30th birthday and I was kind of going through sort of the same thing. And that's sort of like, we kind of get it at 30. And we started looking at life differently. And we started kind of really, at that point, we should kind of know as, where we're going or have an idea or have a clue, at least start formulating where we're going at 30. And it's funny you bring that up because I remember my 30th birthday vividly just because I kind of had that aha moment. And that's when you start kind of putting your pieces together. And another thing too that affects us at age 30, and this, relate, this relates to our health and mental health, you know, menopause is a real thing. And uh, yes. so we hit 30 and our testosterone levels change. And a lot of times that leaves us prone to depression. It, it does slow us down. So I, you know, I, I urge, you know, all of us, once we hit about age 30, when we go to the doctors, let them check out testosterone levels, make sure we okay, make sure we aren't dipping too much because, you know, it may, it may mask something that may be depression, may not be depression, but that's part of overall healthcare. Okay. Okay. And, and I thank you for that because it was just like, I don't know, at that age, that's when it changed. Like 25, I was just this, I call myself, those were the stud years. I was, uh, I was built different. Um, I was built like, I wasn't built like the, the Ford I needed to be. I don't know why I always use that as an analogy or a reference, but that's the reference point there. So I need your help. I need your help real quick. All right. All right so this is what happened to me. In 2019, um, uh, fell in love with this lady. Um, we had a romantic thing running from 2018, 2019, whatever. And we got close, engaged and everything. Um, she had gastric bypass surgery um, because someone lowered her self-esteem back in the day and told her whatever, and I couldn't convince her not to have it. My birthday was July 13th. She had the surgery on July 15th, July 23rd. She was gone from this earth. And um, what has happened to me and after that, I grieved. And grieving is a is a, one of the things in mental health that nobody can chronicalize because it happens to people in different ways. Well, this is what happened to me, and I haven't recovered from this. Um, and I don't know how I'll recover from this, but but I can, can get your advice from 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 you, from you uh, for this, and this can help listeners too. After that happened, a few days later, I started reaching out to people to help people. I started trying my best to make people feel good. I didn't worry about the gratification. I didn't worry about the satisfaction of helping someone. But I constantly had the urge, and I still have the need to make sure in my lifetime, and when I say lifetime, I'm talking about every day, that somebody around me, if I can feel or see something, mostly see, because I'm not going to act like I have any kind of abilities to tell if someone having issues. If I see somebody has an issue, if you put a post out on Facebook and it's irregular from what you do, or, you know, you call me out the blue and then I don't hear from you for a long time, 
I'm going to check up on you a little bit harder than Terry and Don down there in Toledo because I know that they're doing good in Toledo. Um, but I don't accept the reciprocity like I should. I don't allow people to, to do that for me because I'm like, the type of maintenance I need, well, I do let one person, um, my girlfriend, Stacy, her fiance, I'll let her do that. But other people, I don't allow them inside. I don't let them in that realm because I feel like no one is going to be sufficient or be efficient to help me. What can I do to break that cycle? <clears throat> Get counseling for it and give yourself time because you feeling that need and that compulsion to help is helping filling the void of that loss. But to exactly, to actually get that back hurts. That's what it is. It reminds you of the pain that you feel from your loss. So it's easy for you to give because it feels good. You can see the benefit and it's selfless. It's right for you. But to actually receive that it's almost like to, to acknowledge the pain, is to face the pain. And that's the hard part of it. But all you can do is take your time and process it. But you acknowledging it knows that now you know that you can deal with it. It's just you just have to find your path to deal with it. But I urge you to keep upon that path just for your own peace. Okay, and I appreciate that. It's like, that, that's the only thing that I'm stuck on. Like, I'm not a perfect person, nobody is. But that's the one thing that, hinders me sometimes because like I tell you with my job obviously we talked about it earlier in the pre-call um I travel a lot and sometimes I get into a spot where me and her went or something like that and like I said she traveled with me extensively to every all these places I go and like like for instance Indianapolis Indiana I cannot just stop there because that was a place that we just were there all the time Columbus Ohio we were there we almost lived in Columbus that's how much we were there I can go there with no problem, but I'm in Indianapolis and I get near this water fountain and then I just freeze. Like life is just, uh. and I have to, and even when I go past it to go to Chicago or go wherever I got to go, leaving West Virginia, I know that I got to go through that city. So I'll put the gas a little bit harder and get through there. And I don't know why, like, that's one thing that I'm stuck on. Like those two things right there, we all have flaws, but those are my two flawed areas to me. Is, is that you hear if it's trying to get through those areas or do you, do you, I just heard stop? it. No, nah, I'm so calculated that I get gas before I get to these areas and keep going. Now, Columbus, I, I have a lot of obligations in Columbus. So yeah. I go to Columbus, but the areas that we went to, I don't necessarily visit. Yeah. Columbus is pretty big. Okay. And um, just with Indianapolis, I just stay away from it. I just move to the left or right. I can get on one interstate and it'll take me out of Indianapolis to Illinois real fast. Now, Enough about me because we we could go on about well, me forever. I, 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 I'll say this: I'll say continue the process, and you know if you need to, you know, reach out to me. I'm, you know, you can. So. Oh yeah, no doubt, and that'll be something in the future that I will end up having to do. Um, now, you you have these these plans and everything going on. What does the future look like for George P. Brooks in Meadow? Busy. Uh, hopefully, the, the the busier the better. Um, just want to end out this year strong, uh, looking to have a good holiday season. It's been a year of growth. It's been a year of change for me and my loved ones. Um, uh, progression, uh, I'll put it to you that way. Um, 
just looking to expand myself, my personal brand and, and with my nonprofit and looking to try to help as many people as possible, expand programs um, and, and, and do some more public speaking and just really kind of see uh, what we can do about spreading awareness and getting some programs started and getting some people some help they need. Okay, and I appreciate that, and I hope that you go full circle with that. Now, you have something interesting. You got two independent films that you're producing, right. and I know with legalities and stuff like that, because we've had people on that do films, you can't talk too much about this and that. I understand that wholeheartedly, but what is it like being in that seat? What is it like being a producer of films? Uh, Nerve-wracking because I'm so new at it, but I, I'm blessed in a sense. God surrounded me with some very knowledgeable people, so... Uh, one, I'm actually going to try to write and direct <laughs> as well. So it's, it's I, I'm, I'm learning a new appreciation for people that make movies because I'm seeing now the dedication and the hard work that goes invo that's involved in just even getting to the point where you have a script. So uh, it's, it's, it's intriguing and it's keeping me humble and I'm loving doing it. Okay. And, that, and that's something that's amazing there. And I appreciate you for that. So George Brooks, well, let's do a little role playing real quick. All right. You have the Meta Association, and it's a STEAM um, association. You get a chance to go to Washington, D.C. We're going to go to my favorite place, Howard University. I don't know why Howard University sticks out, but Harvard University, I mean, Howard University um, brings a lot of our African American business and leadership into fruition in business in certain degrees there we could do Spelman we could do any HBC across uh the U.S. historically about college for anybody that didn't know if I said that incorrectly I apologize right um so you're at Howard and you were given a TED talk and your TED talk is about black male mental health give me the first 20 words that you would say to them and, and one thing that you got to do here, when we do the role play, you got to be descriptive. What you got on, so they'll know exactly what you look like, because what you look like sometimes sets the mood for what you're going to do. Me, for instance, uh, I am about like uh, tubs from uh, Miami Vice when it comes to when I do public speaking or anything like that. I want to wear something flashy. The colors I got on now, they're generic, just to set a generic mood. But I want to be flashy. I might have one some kind of flamingo color you never met. So what okay. about yourself? What you what would you have on? And and what's that that first statement basically that you're giving to this audience? Okay. Um, probably knowing me, I I probably dress kind of conservatively, no title. Not trying to do the whole Republican thing, but definitely not doing the, the Democrat thing. Okay. Uh, let me count out my words. Okay. All right. And while you do that, let me put a little filler in here. Okay. Um, the reason that we like to do this role playing and, and I do this with people is because it gives us a strong sense of your imagination and like it gives, goes into a deeper creation because it's on the fly. Right. You're not having enough time to just be, you know, you're not being able to perform this. You're just going with it. It's like a freestyle rap in other words. And that's why I like to do it. That's why I'll give you a little time, you know, to get everything going and it All don't right, have okay. to be 20 words. Just okay. what would that statement be? My, my statement would be something to the effect of your mental health, your, your money, your relationships with the women and your children all begins with you and your accountability. Okay. Off the rip, let them know. Everything starts with them. Everything ends with them. 
All right, now in the question and answer portion of this, because, you know, after you're done with the TED Talk, you got to take questions. You got to fill things. So a person like me, I'm one of them people that I try to, I try to use the English language to to pull certain things out of people. So you say accountability. I'm going to say responsibility. Um, How deep is the responsibility um, for my accountability? How far, because accountability and responsibility are the same thing, but someone will twist that around on you. So how would you answer me if I said that to you? First of all, I wouldn't let somebody twist the words around on me. Okay. Uh-oh. You, you're not because <laughs> I don't I don't let people control narratives on me. And, and I like that. You know the thing is, I you know responsibility and account and accountability can be interpreted in so many different ways. Just tonally, I'm not gonna let somebody do that. So accountability means one taking accountability for themselves. Responsibility can be thrust upon you, but not accountability. So I'm gonna hold my line on that, and I'm just gonna say, you're accountable for your actions, for your part in, in, in even things that did not necessarily have to do with you. Because in life, we all have circumstances that other people, that their mama and them did to us, that their auntie did to us, but yet still, you were still responsibility for the core path of your life. So that's what my first statement would, would kind of lead off into. Okay, and I like that, I like that. Now, you go through this, uh, become renowned with this. So, you know, you got to move on up, you know, from D.C., you got to go to New Jersey. You got to go to Princeton. Princeton Review, you're out there, you're serious, you know. Nothing about uh, Howard is not serious, but you're on a different level when you're Ivy League in this instance. So you're covering a a different quota. And when I say quota, I'm I'm talking about the population because we're going to talk – dive deep into the African-American community. The Ivy League African-American community is an unattainable group to certain people. Certain people don't even think that Ivy League Black people exist beyond Obama's and stuff like that. So you're there with them. So um, you don't treat them any different, but it's a certain prestige to be there. Correct. Um, And you're given a different speech. And at the end, the question and answer um, instead of a young black male, a young black female, and a white man, both of them walk up to you. And they tell, let you know that what you said moved them. And your narrative is never about the race na- naturally when you're doing something like that or in the work that you're doing now. But um, the black female lets you know that, you know, because of what you said, she's going to go home and talk to her younger brothers. Let them know that just because we're here in this certain area doesn't mean that our mental health is any different than anybody that is in a different class from us. Because in that, those upper levels, you know, certain things get skipped out when you have money. Right. Certain things get bought and taken you know, away. So you, so that gives you a, a certain sense of uh, a different feeling. And I'll get you to explain that feeling in just a moment. Now the white man, white man, for instance, what happened to him is it made him aware of something he wasn't aware of because obviously, you know, it's a different type of money. And the best thing that he ever comes close to seeing in African-Americans is whatever's depicted on TV. And obviously the Ivy league people are, are conditioned a different way than we are. So he sees a different black man than what we see. He doesn't see the everyday one. And you open his eyes to perspective. And his question to you is, is, what can he do as a white man in the United States 
to help the black man with his mental health? What do you tell him? Get involved in the discussion. That's the first thing. We have not had, we have long, uh, we're long overdue these discussions. Uh, and, and until we have them, uh, we won't understand why we have the stigma. We won't understand how to develop, develop a plan of care. And we have to have everyone at this table because everyone has, effect, has affected our, 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 we all affect each other's mental health. And like I said, while we focus on the black males, we have to have everyone involved because we are a community. So the best thing for him to do is get involved in the discussion, learn, you know, and, and, and see it as a mental health problem, see it as a health crisis. Try not to, you know, I, I would love to get to the point where we don't have to see things, you know, uh, as, as, as divisive issues, you know, but until then we have to see them that way. But this is a health crisis issues, just like addiction issues are not necessarily criminal issues. They should be treated as health issues. And until we do so, we'll continue to see mass incarceration and no dent in the drug law. Same difference. Okay. And, and I like that. So now we've, you know, we've been in New Jersey, so you've pretty much taken care of the, the East Coast. We go Midwest. Midwest, we're going to go somewhere nice. Uh, where we want to go in the Midwest? Let's go to many... Uh, no, we don't want to go to Minneapolis. St. Louis. St. Louis is as Midwest as we need to get. All right. Because South Dakota, North Dakota, I ain't worried about out there. Um, no offense to y'all people who keep subscribing to the show. But anyway, um, you're in the Midwest, St. Louis. Um, St. Louis is prestigious for whatever's in St. Louis. You're at their arena. I forgot the name of it now, but the big arena that's out there in St. Louis. We're where the Rams used to play. And it's a different tone now because you've opened up and you've woken up society more after the New Jersey deal, the Princeton deal, because right there you had started and you worked your way through the social classes by doing that one because everybody was represented in that one area, you know, different walks of life. Your business has spread and the message is still the same male mental health, black mental health, Black male mental health and everyone mental health. Um, and, you know, there's been re reporters covering you and, you know, they they want to keep up with you and they want to know um, how, you, how you're feeling after doing all this, like the pressures of touring, because like you're about to go do an event um, on August 6th. You're moving around a lot. You're not having much time for yourself. You're doing podcast interviews and things like that, like you're doing now. Um, you're having to sharpen your time around other people's time to, you know, to get your message across. Right. Um, in St. Louis, you fall asleep. You're an hour late to your event. Your event is canceled, but you're, you know, you're there at this event. And the reporters ask, uh, what's the pressure like? What do you tell them? Basically, I can take accountability. I overslept. I was, I was tired. I overslept for the event. Um, as far as, you know, I'm not going to necessarily admit to feeling uh, pressure, but I'm just going to tell them it's just part of the rigors of having this kind of event. It's an isolated event. It happened. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Why dwell on it? Right. So, so, so from there, you do that. Make your way finally to the West Coast. California to Washington State, back to California. You're in Los Angeles. Um, you're at the Clippers Arena. We're not going to do the Lakers, because Lakers are who they are. 
here at the here at the this same place, Staples Center. Here okay. at the Staples Center. Um in you know, everything you've done, the films have come out. Um you were rejoicing in the blessing that was given to you. And your wife looks over at you. Y'all are um, you know, y'all just got off the airplane, y'all are in the shuttle getting ready to get in the rental car. And um uh, she tells you that she loves you. And it's the same love that she had for you before any of this happened, before you got the junction to move on in life. And you really look at her and you can appreciate life because you see that she stuck it out with you. Things were going a certain way. We're not going to talk about success because we don't measure anything in success because we're all successful just waking up that day. But you have accolades. You got the, the accommodations and things that you deserve or you feel that you deserve now. And you being a person... Um, just by hearing you talk, you're a person that doesn't worry about gratification, correct? Correct. You're a person that just, you're a bode, you work in the world and you do what you got to do to help everybody and help yourself too along the way, which is self-care and I appreciate that. But you, but you, you and her get a moment, you know, before, you, you know, you're here in that arena, you get to look around, you see Magic Johnson's jersey, you see Kobe, anybody there. And, you know, you've probably been to that arena before, but this time is special because you're about to give your final speech before you go back home and start reorganizing things for the next year. This is the end of this December, end of the year. Um, and, and you're about to get on that stage. Remember this, this love that you got for your wife, y'all are talking about it and you're remembering this love because it's something that, you know, it, it didn't go astray or anything, but it kind of went south because you're traveling, you're doing these things. Right. Um, and she, and she's over in that corner and you can see her. She looks up at you and y'all have a little, a little, we call it a, a Lucy and uh, Desi Arnaz thing. Y'all got a little signal. She gives you the signal that it's time to give that speech. And you got this love inside of you. What is the first thing you're going to say about her when you're doing that speech? First thing? Oh, uh, how much I appreciate it and how much she, she, she means to just my day-to-day function, let alone me haven't recovered in my recovery because I do that all the time. I mean, even earlier in our conversations, I referenced her because, you know, she, you know, we, we connected when I was at a low point and she didn't do the work for me, but she, she helped me navigate my way. And it was so beautiful the way she did it. And I'm so appreciative of her every day, like everything, just everything. And just to watch her and the way she works and her dedication toward her job and education, she inspires me. So yeah, I mean, this yeah, I'm yeah, I'm gonna give her a shout out, no doubt, no matter what. <laughs> All right, and I really like that and I appreciate that. So that's the end of the role play. So we see what life's gonna be like for you. You're gonna get out here and do it right. You're gonna go from east to west. You right. can go west, east, north, south, whatever. And any place in the southern area, Texas, any of those places, no disrespect, we can do things there with role playing but we were just trying to get a little little bit of a crossing the humility and the person that you are right so mr george brooks uh there's something we do in this show and it's a testimony i just met you today we've had some conversations we try to do a show here and there and the world didn't work but it wanted us to work today and get things out here so this is one thing that i will say to you it is a true testament that you stand up for black male mental health you don't know it today. You won't know it tomorrow. You might not know it even six weeks from now or 22 months from now. But you are etching your name in people's minds 
And that's something hard to do because anybody can get out here and do all this social media stuff and make impressions and do these engagements. But you're doing more than that. You're you're etching. You got a little. You're you're taking it rocking. You're chiseling it. And that's hard to do in society because people will chastise you. People will disrupt you, and they will try to slander you as quick as they can at any turn. But you walk with God. You got the greatest verse in the Bible, Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's how you live your life. And not a lot of people can live by that verse. It is a hard one. It's a it's a it's a hard one because some people think they're above um, you know, sinning. They think that they, what they're doing is not a sin. And you know that you're doing righteous things, but you know that you slip sometimes and things happen. You're accountable for your actions. You keep responsibility, even if they aren't your actions. And that was something upstanding you said earlier. That's probably the gem inside this episode. So um, in this world, self-care and all this other stuff, at some point, just give yourself a hug or something, even if it's just proverbial. If you don't do it with your hands, you do it um, some other way. Um, And I really want to thank you because that stigma is hard on Black men. It's hard on us. It's hard on anyone in general, but to be in a society and a culture where I'm told to be tough before I even get a chance to be sensitive is an amazing thing. And I want to thank you for that. No problem. No problem. Thank you. And I I want you to keep doing what you do, all the rigors and all that other stuff, because it's an amazing thing. And the more you do it, the more you encourage and the more people will come out and speak out. And then I'm 37 now and you're 32. So in 44. So we'll both say this in 20 years, it'll be different because the 20 years before this, it was different. In the 40 years before that, it wasn't even talked about. So we see progress now, but we'll see the full progression, you know, in, in, in that time. So I want to thank you for that. And if you don't mind real quick, could you do a quick shameless plug so that everybody can know where they can find meet and greet you on the internet. And I need you to do one lasting thing before I do my call out on this. I need you to give a shout out to the people that have made you who you are today. Cause we make ourselves, I, I always wholly agree to that, but there's people that are the makeup and the, in the, in the foundation that we step on sometimes when we burn bridges. There, there are, I mean, of course, my fiance, but there, I mean, my children, my family. I mean, there, there are people that I've encountered at the grocery store that have said, hey, that have affected my whole day. So it would be too many people to name, and I take <laughs> no direction for granted. But uh, people can reach me at uh, metaassociation.org. Uh, I do accept donations via Cash App at dollar sign Meta Association, M E T T A Association. Uh, we're preparing for some to do some traveling for some upcoming events, so it is timely for that. And you can follow me at on Facebook at George P. Brooks. Okay. And they can check out your amazing LinkedIn also, because LinkedIn is a place that we do. Oh, yes. I do encourage everybody to go because that's a, that's the that's our business professional Facebook. Get yourself over there, even if you're not a business professional, you're a business professional in something. Um. Once again, this is JR. I'm the host of West Virginia and Commonplace. Um, check us out over at www.wvcommonplace.com. Meet and greet us. Uh, you can sign up for different things. You can hear us streaming on multiple different platforms. And the amazing thing with these shows, the show notes will have 
all the information for George P. Brooks that you can find him on the internet and the transcription for the shows from now on come out 30 days later. So for our people that just like to read the shows, you'll have those out there too. So I'm JR once again with George P. Brooks signing off.